I don't know about you, but I, I, so, I so often wish that the energy, that the emotion, that the feeling that we have when we're together on a Sunday morning, when we're singing amazing songs with amazing truths to an amazing God, that those feelings would just stick around just a little bit longer. But sometimes I'm chasing them out before I get to the back door uh, after the amen is said. Sometimes I let uh, the, the events of the week uh, take, uh, seem more powerful uh, than the God who has given me so much. My prayer is that for this year that we learn how to stay on those mountaintop times higher, that we, that we stay more connected than we ever have before with our Savior, and that we can become a people who are more committed to speaking Jesus into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into our places of business, into our living rooms, into the world than ever before. And that's what I hope that starting today, that that we're able to do that, that we're able to stay on those mountaintop experiences and those highs and that connection with our Savior more than we have in the past. But here's the problem. We love, 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 to play the what-if game. You ever played that one? You ever look back on your life and say, what if that had happened differently? What if I had made a different decision there? I I shared with my family that, that, Lord willing, this will be the 15th year in a row. I don't say that to brag. I say that because I'm amazed that I've been able to do something for 15 years in a row. But this will be the 15th year that I've read through Scripture. Um, from front to back. I'm doing it a different fashion this year, but, um, and, but I, when I come up on those familiar stories, I start, my, start, my mind starts to play this what-if game. Have you ever done that with stories in Scripture? What if this had happened a little bit differently? So let's just look at a few of those. You guys just humor me for a second uh, or, or two this morning. What if we went all the way back to creation and we, we go back to after God had created and created everything that, that, that and filled the earth in six days and then he rested. Uh, and then he charged Adam and Eve with, hey, everything is here for you to fill your bellies with, to, to have dominion over, except don't eat from this one tree. Well, then there's this encounter, um, and this makes me want to be back in the garden even more to see this relationship where it's not weird for Eve to be talking to an animal and for the animal to be talking back. I know some of you guys talk to your dogs and your cats all the time, uh, but I'm hoping that you're not professing that they talk back to you, uh, at least very often. But this, this encounter, and so if you go to Genesis chapter 3, you have where, God, where Satan says, did God really say this? And Eve comes back, and, uh, and we have this text in Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, um, the serpent saying to Eve, for God knows that when you eat uh, of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, we know the rest of the story. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. But what if, what if this story going a little bit differently? It goes to the encounter and we get down to Eve. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she was instantly reminded that God was awesome and had given her everything she could ever want and said to the snake, are you kidding me? We're already like God. We were made in his image by him. Get out of here before I call Adam. Uh, and he crushes your head with a garden hoe. What if things had happened this way? 
What if Eve had held closely, held tightly to the truth that God had given to her? Or what if you go over to, to Numbers chapter 20 and you jump into the story of Noah? Noah had the awesome task that nobody else ever wanted uh, in, in all of history to lead one million whiny people of God for 40 years in the desert. And they were whining one day, and they wanted something to drink. So God said, hey, go speak to the rock, and water will come out of it. But between there and getting to the rock, everything happened. The Joneses were complaining about this, and the Smiths were complaining about this. And everybody was just had something to say to Moses. And by the time he gets to the rock, he forgets, and all he does is whack that thing. And we know the results of that. Because of that, he was not allowed to go into the promised land, which was to be part of his reward for leading this band of people through the wilderness. But what if, instead of Moses 20:11, where it says he lifted up his hand and he struck the rock, what if it had occurred this way? What if, as Moses lifted up his hand, he realized what he was about to do, and he remembered a trick that his mother taught him, and he counted to 10. And when he had calmed down, he spoke to the rock, and water came out. Moses would have been able to see the promised land, Right? How about if we go to Judges chapter 16, right? In this book that has all these weird stories and these amazing characters and these broken characters that are used by God, we see Samson. Now, you can say a lot about Samson. He wasn't the smartest person that God ever called into ministry, right? He fell in love with a girl named Delilah. And Delilah was, was, was part, became part of a scheme to find out where he got his strength from. So he asked, honey, she asked, honey, where, how are you so strong? How can, what could strip you? And he goes and he tells her, okay, so I don't, I'm not sure why, I'm, I'm not sure how long they knew each other and how much he should really be trusting Delilah, but he tells her a lie. And in the middle of the night, the, the people come, they tie him up with what he said, and he wakes up in the morning and he boasts everything up, and Delilah's upset. Because Samson, you made a fool out of me. Hey, uh, you made me look like you, know, you made me look foolish in front of all these people. If you really love me, you'll tell me where you get your strength and how it can be taken from you. And we know that the Samson just goes in this cycle until eventually his hair is cut, he's captured, his eyes are gouged out, and he brings down uh, the, 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 the temple, the place where they're meeting, and, and kills his enemies. But what if? What if uh, Judges 16, 13 went this way? Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, woman? First of all, when I was writing this down, I laughed because I pictured Ray Clow saying this. Okay, for those of you who know Ray, right? <laughs> woman, uh, I know I have this ripped body, but I'm not just a pretty face. My mind is pretty sharp too. You have fooled me once, but no more. What if? Right? Uh, let's skip to the New Testament. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus has just spent 40 days in the wilderness. 40 days communing on nothing but God's presence. Hasn't eat, eaten anything, hasn't had anything to drink for 40 days. We see that as a period of weakening, but for Jesus, I have to believe it was a period of strengthening because he was there with his father. And at the end of that, yes, his stomach is probably grumbling because he's a man, and his stomach is probably grumbling, and Satan comes to him and offers up a rock. If you're the son of God, say the word, this will become bread. And we know that Jesus replies, but, it is, but he answered, it is written. 
Man does not, shall not live by bread alone, but every, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What if Jesus had succumbed in this moment and said something more like this, hot bread? It looks like lobster, Red Lobster's Cheesy Biscuits. I'm finished. Bring those here. And then we wouldn't be able to read in Scripture anymore that Jesus was tempted in every way just like us, and yet he did not sin. If Jesus had caved, have you ever think, thought about what if Jesus had caved to one of the temptations that Satan threw at him? The whole redemption story would be wrecked. Right? Or how about in the Garden of Eden? We know that Jesus is heavy at this time. He knows that the crucifixion is getting closer and closer and closer. So he goes off with his closest friends and he talks just with his father. He says, Dad, if there's any way that this can move past, if there's another way, if this cup can pass for me, if, if, if you've got a plan B, I mean, I'd love to talk about that, but not my will, but yours. And we know that uh, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 29, uh, uh, sorry, 26 Right? In 39, Jesus is praying that. And what if, when you get to verse 40, if it had read something like this, and God immediately transported Jesus from the garden back to heaven and left man to fend for himself. And can you imagine, fathers, knowing what your son was about to endure, how much you would want to just grab him up and bring him back into your care. But again, if that what if would have occurred, the whole redemption story would be null and void. We, we play what if games all throughout Scripture, and if we're honest with ourselves and with each other, we have what if games that we play with ourselves too. What if, what if I had chosen this career instead of the one that I did choose? Uh, what, if I, what if she had said no when I got down on my knee to propose? Or some of us, what if she had said yes when, she, when I got down on a knee to propose? What if I had saved myself and my purity for marriage? What if I had been more strict on my children? What if I had been more lenient on my children? What if I had prioritized faith over anything else in our life? What if I had begun earlier serving in ministry and, and tithing and attending church regularly? What if I had not got behind the wheel of that car when I'd had a few too many to drink? What if I had decided to go through with the pregnancy? What if I had decided not to give in and look at pornography for the first time? What if I had come home to my wife and to my children rather than sticking around at the office trying to get a little bit more done more often? What if I had spent more time with my aging parents? Or what if I had treated my wife more lovingly? What if, what if, what if, what if we can play that game all day long? We all have what ifs, but not a one of us can go back and change any of those what-ifs. If it's in the past, we cannot change it. As much as we wish that we could, as much uh, uh, mental energy as we sometimes uh, give, imagining what life might be like if we had done something different, we can't go back and change. Now, we might need to, go to, might need to go back and apologize for something and make amends for something, but we cannot go back and change all those past what-if scenarios. So, what if, from this day forward, everything we did was dictated by this book? What if we made it a priority to spend time in God's Word 
more than we have in the past? What if we treated our wives, our husbands, our children, our siblings, our parents according to the standards that we see in this book? What if, if we're not married, what if we uh, approached marriage and held that person that we're wooing, that we're courting uh, with the high esteem that we see in this book? What if we truly realize that we are merely stewards of each and every penny that God blesses us with? What if we had this biblical understanding of the ex- just the extent of what God's love is for us and the, the, the destruction that sin causes and the horror of what hell is like? And what if we looked at Christ on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension for what it truly is? What if we admitted and accepted that our plight here on earth without Jesus is one of hopelessness? What if our church involvement and our relationships with Christ were placed at a higher priority than anything else? Athletics, work, fun, getting ahead, anything. What if we chose to speak positively of the church and her leaders uh, in front of our children and our teens uh, to give them a healthier attitude toward church? What if we ceased gossiping? What if we gave hate no power hold on our lives? What if we realize that as long as we have breath in our lungs, God has a purpose for us on this planet? And what if we realize that for some reason, God chose this being, the church, to be the vehicle that takes his message to a world that needs to hear it. Ultimately, that leads us to the Great Commission. What if we pursued the Great Commission with this vigor, with this energy, with this commitment, with this passion and compassion that we have never had before? When we go to Matthew chapter 28, we read those words from Jesus, and for some of us, uh, it throws us into shock. Because if you read the words of Jesus... Right before uh, the part that we like to quote, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all the power. He has all authority, heaven and on earth. He has it all. And right after that, he follows, follows that up by saying, go. And we see that is as get out of here Leave Williamstown and go to Malawi. Leave Williamstown and go to Scotland. Leave Williamstown and go to the other side of the planet. And it scares us to death. And because uh, well, I have to learn a language. I'd really have to do what Jesus says and sell all that I have so that I can go to the poor and be with them. And it's daunting. And it scares us. And yes, church, God frequently and throughout all of history has called people to do just that. But we let that verse scare us, and we let that verse drive us to inactivity rather than doing for us what it should do. Now, one of the things that we like to do with the English language is we like to go and we like to drill down on a word. I've done that. If you're a Bible studier, you've done that. You want to know exactly what Peter said when he said this or what Moses said when he used this word or this imagery. And we get so tied up. But if you were to go back, if we were all gifted with the the ability to read biblical language, when we read this, it wouldn't be this strong, this hard, this ferocious, go, get out of here. It would be more like this. Since you are already going, or having gone, or 
as you go. That changes things just a little bit. Because we're all going someplace, all the time it seems like. And Jesus is saying, as you go, do this right here. As you are going, make disciples, baptize, teach. Not all of us are called to go to the other side of the world, but all of us are called to make disciples as we go. That is what we want to focus on this year. So as we are going from this day forward, what if we took God's commission placed on us more seriously? Not way over there, but right here. Not just over there, but over there and here and every place that we're given opportunity in between. Not in the summer of 2023, not just in the summer of 2023 when we hope to go on a mission trip, or not once our kids are out of school, or not once my career is established, or not once I retire and I have more free time, but every single time as we are going, this is our aim. This is our mission, to go to make disciples, to baptize, to teach. So what if we were committed to becoming 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, disciple-making disciples? Everything that we are going to do corporately this year as a faith family is going to drive us toward that, 365, 24-7. Starts today kicking off that for here's where we're going for the year. Next week, we're going to come back together and we're going to start a three-week series called Awkward Silences because we are going to ask you to consider and to do some tough stuff this year. And normally, when we are faced with something that, 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 that is a little bit that we think is harsh or different or out of the norm or uh, it's going to require something of us, our quick thing is to do what Tony Foreman does and just this knee-jerk reaction, uh-uh. So the next three weeks, we're going to just learn how to sit with God. When Scripture asks us to do something, instead of going right into rationalization mode, let's just sit with God. So that's January. When we get to February, we're going to go into this discovering uh, disciple-making series. And we're going to, to, to have to make some room up here because I'm going to have some visuals up here to help us on that journey about how we can go from where we are today to the next stage in our disciple-making, uh, and the next stage in our imaging of Jesus Christ. And so that is uh, January, in, or that's February. In March, we're going to step back, and we're going to take our statement of beliefs, those things that make us who we are, those core tenets that we're going to fight over, that we're going to hold tight to, and we're just going to walk through our statements of belief so that we know that we believe it because we can't share something to somebody that we don't believe. So that is in March. In April, uh, before, during, and after Easter, we're just going to focus on the resurrection. And we're going to look at the power of the resurrection, the power that it should give us. When we get to June, we're going to look at true forgiveness. Why forgiveness in this year where we're looking at being disciple makers? Because unless you are able to receive and give biblical forgiveness, 
you are going to be shortchanged when you go and try to share the message of Jesus with a lost world. We have got to understand what biblical forgiveness and justice is before we can go into a world and share Jesus fully and confidently. And that will lead us up to our summer series. And once again this year, we're going to rely on the church to bring God's word in the month of July. Now we're going to do something a little bit different to help prepare. So all those people who have stood up here before in our summer series and anybody who's interested in leading a Bible study or, or, or possibly one day given the opportunity to stand here, we're going to do this thing, lack of a better term, a preaching academy starting in February where we learn to take a section of scripture and develop it into a sermon for God's people. So we'll talk more about that. When we look at our care groups, we want to be able to take our care groups and recalibrate them and repurpose them. We want to be able to launch new care groups with this idea of making disciples wherever we go. Probably more than any other time since I've been here, we're going to ask our care groups to all study the same thing at times so that we can all be on the same page, digging deeper into the same topic. We're going to continue to offer resources the one sheet, and right now media. But all of those things are going to go back to the task of making us disciple-making disciples everywhere that we go. That great commission, go, or as you go, that's a, both a corporate and an individual challenge. And, and since FBCW is, is a church, a local church, that's made up of individual Christians, this is a two-sided coin that we're, we're a two-sided challenge that we're throwing out there to you. What if each of us and what if all of us decided that surrendering to Jesus, that becoming more like him, that mimicking his behavior, that modeling his life, that adopting his methods and um, sharing his desires that chasing his will for our lives in the world, that sharing his gospel, that reaching those that he came to reach, what if we decided that all of those things, what if we collectively and individually decided that all of those things was worth every ounce of energy that we had? I believe that if we did that, it would change the type of employees we are. It would change the type of employers we are. It would change the type of men and women, husbands and wives, children, grandparents, friends, aunts and uncles. It would change who we are if we started looking only through the lens of Jesus Christ to develop a worldview and how we build ourselves up to go and to serve. Could you imagine what this church would be like if 300 people we're all committed. Can you imagine what our living rooms and our dining rooms would be like if 300 people? Can you imagine what our schools and our places of business would be like if just 300 people committed more to chasing after the things of Jesus? Can you imagine what our cities and the mid-Ohio Valley would be like? Can you even imagine what Ohio and West Virginia would be like if just 300 people were on fire for this Savior they claim to love? Can you imagine what, how things would be different if we were committed to being 365, 24-7, disciple-making disciples? Church, the only thing that's holding us back is our insecurities and our fears. 
We don't do what we're supposed to do because we think we're incapable of doing it alone. And you're right. We don't spread Jesus far and wide because we're fearful that we cannot do it on our own. And we are right. But when we think that way, we are forgetting Jesus' promises to us. We're forgetting what the Apostle Peter tells us in his letters. That Jesus isn't asking us to do something or go somewhere that he isn't going to go with us. And that's the point that we sometimes forget when we get fearful in the Great Commission in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He's not sending us alone. To go back to Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore, or as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's not sending us alone. He will be with us. And even more than that, he will be in us. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where Jesus says, as you go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses as you go. We do not do this alone. Thank God for that. We do not do this of our own, from our own strength, from our own faith, from our own abilities. We do it because the Holy Spirit has empowered us. Not just Jesus with us, Jesus in us, fueling us. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness as you go. My prayer this week, church, my prayer for this year, church, is that we commit more and more every single day to taking the message of Jesus to the nations. And as we are going to the nation far over there, we got to pass through neighborhoods and cities and states. Wherever God leads us this year, let us be committed to making much of our Savior. He has done so much for us. Our life should reflect what he has done for us.